My name is Ian Urbina. I've reported on some pretty mind-blowing stories, but nothing like what happens at sea. If they got within 800 metres, that is when we would fire warning shots. Murder, slavery, human trafficking, and staggering environmental crimes. Men have told me that they've been beaten with stingray tails, with chains. If you really want to understand crime, start where the law of the land ends. The Outlaw Ocean. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. It can be hard to stay positive these days. The news is really tough. Are you doing all right in the midst of all of that? It's, it's hard to find kind of your footing in the midst of everything. There are researchers at something called the Big Joy Project that are hoping that they can help in the midst of this. It's called the world's largest citizen science experiment, and they're encouraging people to make their own micro-acts of joy. Emiliana Simon-Thomas is a Big Joy Project leader, science director of the Greater Good Science Center at the University of California, Berkeley. Emiliana, good morning. Good morning. What is this, the Big Joy Project? So the Big Joy Project is a one-week program that anyone around the world can engage with, which suggests a kind of tiny little thing that a person might do each day that we know has the potential to increase their overall happiness in life. We pull these exercises or, again, micro acts of joy from the scholarly literature, from studies that examined their potential for impact in rigorous empirical ways, and we make them available so that anyone can, again, try them. It's like a little springboard to understanding that you can play a role in your own happiness and, in fact, doing something each day that doesn't take a whole lot of effort that can make that more possible and more available for you. All right. Walk us through how this works. What do you ask people to do? So when a person first joins, they answer a few questions. Uh, it's a little survey at the very beginning. We try to understand who's there and what they're bringing to the table. Uh, and then each day, again, you get an email and a text message that says, hey, today your micro act is, for example, make a gratitude list. Um, really quickly within the platform, you list eight things that might feel like sources of goodness in your life. And they can be super simple from the feeling of warm sun on my shoulders to something really specific and particular like I got a promotion after working really hard with my team on a particular project, or I'm grateful to a family member for supporting me through a difficult time. At the end of the little practice, we, we ask how you feel, how it went. We nudge people again in the evening time over their, over their device or their email to reflect on how that exercise went for them or how that little micro act impacted them. And uh, we also measure things like sleep and stress levels. And at the end of seven days, we have people complete a, the survey similar to the one they started with, but with a few fewer questions. Mm. And um, yeah, we analyze that data and we've been delighted and encouraged with um, some of our preliminary findings. How do you pick the micro acts of joy that you're asking people to participate in? You know, we, it was a, it was a, an interesting and very thoughtful process that was collaborative. We were working with a, a documentary filmmaking team. So this project was 
was meant to be a campaign that uh, followed viewing of a film called Mission Joy, Finding Happiness Through Troubled Times, which cataloged the friendship between the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. Mm. Uh, very uplifting and beautiful film. And at the end, you feel like, okay, you know, it's possible. We can do this, but what can you do, right? And and so we worked with that team, uh, evaluated the key themes that we saw articulated in the film for these two pioneers of positivity, for lack of better expressions, to humans who, against all odds and against, you know, huge resistance, were able to, or still in some regards, able to just make a difference in the world for the better through relatively peaceful and humanistic uh, approaches. So we looked at the themes in the film, and then we looked at the academic science and where are there exercises that have um, a strong evidence behind them that we can sort of pull and adapt and align or match with what we saw in the film in order to Again, give people that sense that they now have the potential to make impact in their own lives to increase happiness within themselves. But also, there's a big role that pro-social behaviors and experiences play in this whole uh, experience. So uh, if you if you were to look through the seven practices or mm. micro acts, a lot of them have to do with um, being kinder investing in other people in ways that are benevolent and supportive and generous. And I mean, obviously all of those things probably help us and help other people. But as you said, this is rooted in science in some ways. So what, what does the science tell us about what those small acts of joy can actually do? Well, first of all, people learn something about the potential, right? They learn that, oh, my level of happiness is not just my genetic endowment, right? It's not just my personality. It's not even just because of my upbringing and my parents and perhaps the life circumstances that I might enjoy or feel unsatisfied with, right? Lots of us walk around day to day thinking that our happiness or our well-being or our potential for joy in life has to do with things that are outside of ourselves and outside of our control. But learning that, oh, wait a minute, what I do, how I behave, how I think about myself, other people in the world actually makes a difference. Well, that's a first key insight that the Big Joy Project offers people, just the knowledge and the, the sense of empowerment and agency over their own well-being. Mm. And then second is that when people just do something a little bit different, a behavior, right? The science shows that when we introduce a new habit or a new way of thinking or a new way of interacting socially, that can shift the way that we uh, tend to behave and interact in perpetuity in a way that contributes to overall happiness in life. So that's our aim. You used the word nudge earlier. I mean, there's a lot of literature and, and studies around that idea that, that you can nudge people into different forms of behavior. Is that what we need? We need a little nudge to remind us to, to use that muscle to exercise joy? So we get so many nudges all the time, every day, about so many different things, right? We live in a very information-dense 
society and time, or, or many of us do. We're hearing about where the best sales are in kind of consumerist context. We're hearing about so many different sources of news and information and opinions and perspectives. We live very highly uh, dense, scheduled lives with lots of opportunities and options. And so, yeah, we need to be reminded in some way, shape, or form that sometimes it's crucial to take the time to prioritize our energy to invest in experiences and behaviors that actually contribute to our well-being in life. It's very easy to live in a reflexive way where we're just responding to all the popular media powers that be, <laughs> right? All the information yeah. out there, all the entertainment that's available to us and just miss the chance to do something that really will make a difference because we've studied it in the scientific laboratory, as opposed to the things that just spontaneously feel like they're going to be rewarding. Because again, that's the you know that's the model of a of a consumerist society. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced the Vinyl Cafe with the late great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than two million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Who benefits the most, do you think? Or, or, or have you learned uh, who benefits the yeah, most from something so like we're... this? We're super interested in this on a couple levels. One, we're interested in who benefits from which kind of exercise, right? There are seven different micro acts. When in, in the Big Joy project, we 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 go to great lengths not to promise any one person that this is going to change your life. And it's, it's and it's not an intervention as well that could replace more more strategic interventions in people's lives. No, absolutely not. It's never meant to be a replacement for any kind of clinical treatment for uh, a, a serious disorder or challenge in one's life. It's it's a supplement. It's a complement. It's uh, it's a program that anyone could use. I think of it like a like a gym, right? A, a, a fitness gym, but instead of being about your muscles and your musculoskeletal system, it's about it's about your mind and and your your capacity for for well being in life. A second way that that we're evaluating that, like who benefits most from the Big Joy program, is looking at things like geography and socioeconomic status and um, cultural identity and gender. So, for example, in our preliminary analysis, we see that women self-report bigger benefits than men do in the overall changes associated with the seven-day program. There's hints that people who actually have fewer resources might benefit more from the Big Joy program than people who live lives that are uh, relatively more privileged. There are a few different reasons why this could be the case. One of them being that big joy also leads to increased feelings of, of coping, right? There's a 34% increase in people's response to a question about their capacity to manage setbacks and difficulties. So if a person's life is particularly stressful, 
perhaps introducing these little micro acts that can change how they relate to setbacks and difficulties and how they turn to others for support and encouragement and uplifting interactions can actually contribute to their well-being. How are we defining joy in this? And do we need to think differently about, about what we think joy is? Yeah. So you can define joy as a momentary emotional experience. So, oh, I feel joy when my friends walk in with a birthday cake with candles and everybody's singing. Or you can define joy as an overarching tendency. So I tend to find joy regardless of the circumstance that I'm in. I tend to have an optimistic outlook. I tend to figure out how to learn and grow from adversity and setbacks in my life. I tend to choose experiences or prioritize behaviors that that give me or fuel that that more broad and overarching sense of joy. So I think it's important for people to to understand that both of those are valid and useful. And in fact, the kind of broader, more general version of joy matters more to things like longevity and, you know, health and just overall quality of life. What did you learn from that relationship between Desmond Tutu and, Dalai, and the Dalai Lama when it comes to, to, to how we find joy and how we find joy perhaps um, in the face of something like hardship? For me, what is most inspirational about that film and about both of those human beings is their courage and tenacity that emerges from joy. Mm. I do think that there's some popular notion that people who are happier or who more readily experience joy in life have have a kind of Pollyannic, naive demeanor, right? They just don't care about what's going on in Be- the world. Because the world is really hard right now. And they, yeah. the, the sense is they have their head stuck in the sand or something. Exactly. But that's not what you see in the film. What you see in the film is this capacity to find joy to derive joy in a moment, even where there might be difficulty, actually fuels and strengthens your activism, right? You care more when you're able to find that joy than you do if you're myopically consumed by your own fear and distress about what's going on in the world. So that idea that being a more joyful person actually gives you courage, um, makes you care, and increases your likelihood of taking action towards justice, towards managing or contributing to solutions to the to the great challenges that we're facing. That's a huge insight, and, and that's what inspires me. What do you do to exercise that muscle yourself? Geez, on a daily basis, I take pains, one, to rest to take a moment outside of my day-to-day busyness and overscheduledness <laughs> <laughs> and long list of commitments and responsibilities to stand up, walk outside, and dwell in the majesty of a leaf on a tree, the veins, the pattern of colors. Uh, one of the exercises is called dwell in awe, 
We know that this experience of awe of being in the presence of something that defies our ordinary expectations and regular thoughts about day-to-day life takes us to a place of shared humanity, of beauty and inspiration. So as a as a daily practice and exercise, I I do that. I, I go outside and I just look at something and remind myself of of the enormity of the universe and my humility and my 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 duty as a human to contribute um, to humanity. I like that you refer to it as a practice. I mean, there is a meditative quality to that, right? And that's something that 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 you develop and and you get better at over time. Of course, there's very few things that we get to do once and then be good at. Yeah. I can't even think of an example myself, to be honest, right? Everything that we want to be good at, learning a language, writing, uh, playing an instrument, being an athlete, we have to do it over and over and over again for, for our whole life, right? There's no point at which you're like, okay, I'm done with that. Now I'm good at it. <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe driving a car? I don't know what the best example might be, but especially when it comes to intellectual or emotional um, experiences, practice is required. We we keep doing it, and and when we don't practice, when we don't exercise, we we atrophy. We atrophy that skill, and so well being, joy, happiness in life, that all involves continued investment and intention in, in, in a similar way. This is a really interesting idea for any time, um, but especially right now, given the times that we're living through. Thank you for telling us about it. Thank you. Emiliana Simon-Thomas is a Big Joy Project Leader, Science Director of the Greater Good Science Center at the University of California, Berkeley. If you want to give this a try, just Google the Big Joy Project and you can sign up. And the documentary that this is based on is called Mission, Joy, Finding Happiness in Troubled Times. Where are you finding those little tiny moments of joy? As I said, things are tough right now on a bunch of different levels, but there is joy out there, as she said. And, and if you exercise that muscle, you might be able to find it. Where are you finding it? You can email us, thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.